Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host, and uh, we're going to talk today again about Russia and Ukraine. And this came up for me because, I'm going to give you a little background story. Um, A friend of mine, an acquaintance, uh, happens to be um, uh, an immigrant here from Romania. In fact, I've got a couple of acquaintances that uh, I know that are Romanian. And it's always interesting to talk to them because they just have such unique stories about coming here and experiencing the United States and and, and these are great people, by the way, just salt-of-the-earth people and just really just can't say enough about them, inspired really by their, by their um, experiences. And, and they love this country. There's no doubt. They love the United States of America. And, but anyway, this, this person I was talking to uh, sent me this uh, report from Jake Tapper on CNN. And it's Look, I mean, most people are not as skeptical about the U.S. government as I am. Um, and it's not just the U.S. government, okay? It's it's governments in general. Governments uh, have interest just like other people and other companies have interest. And their interest is, is um, centered around power and exercising that power. And it's just, um, it's at the root of that power and their ability to exert that power is force. And this is what I object to. And because force, uh, power and force, especially government power and force, are antithetical to liberty. And liberty is what essentially made America great. The, The idea of America is one of individual liberty. Uh, the idea that you could come here, uh, pursue some dream, rise as high as you want to go, and essentially nobody from the government has the power to stop you or shouldn't have the power to stop you uh, just because they don't like what you're doing um, or saying. This this is the idea of America. Uh, America is... is the land of the free, the home of the brave. I mean, that's the caricature of America, right? And a lot of people from foreign countries really understand the, you know, they understand that individual freedom and um, that power. In fact, this this person actually said something really interesting to me. We were talking about uh, this, and one of the things he said is it's kind of like your homeowners association. I thought this is a great analogy, by the way. He says, kind of like your homeowners association. It's bad with it, but it's worse without it. And his point is, yeah, government is bad, but it's worse without it. And I don't know. I I don't know about that. Um, Because eventually government becomes tyrannical and oppressive and that's the worst kind of government. So I, you know, I, I, I understand the analogy and I, and I can appreciate it. 
Um, because in a homeowners association, what he's saying is, yeah, they more or less leave you alone. Uh, but if you didn't have the homeowners association, people would be parking in the front yard and cars would be jacked up in the street and people would be pulling the transmission out and replacing it. And it just would look junky. And, and the, the, the idea of the homeowners association is it keeps kind of that riffraff to a minimum. So yeah, I get it. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But he sent me this uh, Jake Tapper, uh, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, just a, uh, just a program. You know, it's, it's from the Jake Tapper program. And Jake Tapper is giving his theory, I guess it's a theory, or his opinion about why, you know, where, where we are with Russia and, and Putin's aggression and what caused it. And I just thought it was very interesting because it's it's literally like a sixth grade level analysis. And I want to go ahead and play it because this is what passes for uh, news in in American media today. And I just think it's it's pathetic. And uh, and I don't know if it's because we the audience don't have a long attention span, and therefore we have to um, kind of do sound bites and, and things like that in order to get people's attention. But I want to play a little bit of it here. And then I want to play a little bit from Scott Horton and his, uh, he has a very long speech and I recommend that you go listen to it. Um, but, um, but I'm going to play a couple clips from it. And I just want you to look at the, listen to the difference between the two types of analyses. The tragedy and Russian military barbarism unfolding before our eyes in Ukraine is horrifying, and the road to it was partly paved with two decades of misplaced optimism, appeasement, and Western leaders too eager to look the other way when it came to Vladimir Putin. While born from, no doubt, a well-intentioned desire to welcome Russia into the global community, that desire seemed to often block out the obvious warning signs. So he frames this up uh, right away. Uh, he talks about optimism after the fall of the Soviet empire and uh, the willingness to work uh, with, with Russia, trade with Russia, be friends with Russia. Uh, it was all just, it was a big mistake to do all that. That's kind of the way he's framing this up. One of Putin's first actions as president in early 2000 was to level the Chechen capital city of Grozny. So much so that the UN was reportedly still calling it the most destroyed city on earth years later. Thousands of civilians were killed. And how did the US respond? With stern warnings and a friendly presidential summit. I think that uh, the United States can, can do business with this man. What I have seen of him so far <clears throat> indicates to me that he's capable of being a very strong and effective and straightforward leader. I'm not going to spend a lot of time digging into these particular conflicts. The The point is here that uh, Clinton um, basically responded with, I think I can trust this guy and all this stuff based on, uh, that, even though uh, Putin was, you know, attacking the Chechnyans. Now, the one thing I will say about that is that declaration of independence by Chechnya happened right after the fall of the Soviet Union. And there was some unfinished business there between Chechnya and Russia uh, that went all the way back to like 1991, 1994. And it wasn't until 2000 that, uh, that he uh, bombed Groznia and all this other stuff. So 
there was there was a lot going on there, and of course he he doesn't really tell the whole story. He just wants to make the point that Bill Clinton's response was, "Hey, let's be friendly to Putin. I think I can work with this guy." President Clinton was the first American leader to see a potential partner in Putin, but he was far from the last. I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. Amid warnings from the likes of Senator John McCain and Gary Kasparov that Putin could simply not be trusted, President Bush nonetheless pushed on for a new beginning with Russia, despite Grosny. So the message there is, you know, Bush was a fool too, you know. I mean, we can't trust this guy, but look how dumb Bush is. He can see his soul. That's kind of the message there, right? Um, but I just want you to remember these statements because we're going to switch to Scott Horton here in a, in a few minutes and just see how dumb and superficial these Jake Tapper points are and, and then compare those with what uh, Scott Horton was talking about. Alexander Litvinenko. You may succeed in silencing one man, Litvinenko said from his deathbed, but the howl of protest from around the world will reverberate Mr. Putin in your ears for the rest of your life. But tragically, that howl evaporated. The UK responded to a brazen assassination on its soil by expelling four Russian diplomats. Jake Tapper here, he's talking about a couple of people that were assassinated. Uh, one was poisoned with radiation and died in the hospital, and the other one was uh, assassinated on UK soil. And He's he kind of leaves it with you like, and we did nothing. That's that's what he's kind of leaves you with, and it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? Send you know a hundred thousand troops over into Russia because you know one person got assassinated. I mean, governments assassinate. We killed thousands and thousands of people in these Middle Eastern countries, and uh, I'm going to grab a clip here in a second from Madeleine Albright saying that half a million kids killed. Uh, in Iraq, due to sanctions, was worth it. I mean, what what would what would Jake Tapper have us do in this situation? That's it. In 2008, Putin, emboldened, invaded neighboring Georgia using the pretense of protecting the rights of Russian-speaking separatists, which is now his playbook. So, according to Jake Tapper, it follows logically that. Putin was emboldened because he can assassinate people in foreign countries and assassinate political rivals in his own country, that he's emboldened. He's so emboldened that he invades Georgia. There was no other reason for invading Georgia. He wasn't, uh, it didn't have anything to do with any other countries. It was just, ah, there's Russian-speaking people there, and uh, I need to go in and uh, take care of them. And now that's his playbook, right? Because that's what he says now with uh, Eastern Ukraine. Russia has invaded a sovereign neighboring state and threatens a democratic government elected by its people. Such an action is unacceptable in the 21st century. Unacceptable. So how did President Bush punish Putin for this bloody invasion of a sovereign nation? Nothing. Not even economic sanctions. Something former Bush National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley told me six years later was a mistake. Again, nothing. Nothing from uh, George Bush or the American government or any other government. And even Stephen Hadley said that was a mistake. Hmm. Okay. So willing to work with Putin, often despite NATO's fears. Remember the 2012 Obama hot mic moment with Putin's 
short-term successor, Dmitry Medvedev, about Putin's objections to U.S. missile defense systems protecting NATO allies? I'm not going to play the hot mic because it's really inaudible, but uh, there's a clue here that Jake Tapper finally drops in his diatribe here, and that is uh, the Medvedev's uh, objection to placing missiles in newer uh, NATO countries. And of course, Obama goes on to say, "Hey, look, I yeah, I need to get reelected first, and then I can and then I can deal with some of this stuff." But he had no intention of dealing with it. Um, none of the none of the leaders in the West had any intention of slowing down NATO expansion or putting missiles and uh, weapons, uh, first strike type weapons, in newly uh, admitted NATO countries. So clearly, it's not just Putin that was objecting to this. There were other Russians that were objecting to this, in this case, Medvedev. But there is even more than that, as you'll hear later when we play Scott Horton's clubs. Obama's flexibility was indeed transmitted to Vladimir. And two years later, Putin ordered the annexation of Crimea and started a civil war in eastern Ukraine, providing arms to separatists who, in July 2014, used a Russian missile system to shoot down Malaysian Airlines Flight 17, killing 298 innocent people. The world responded to the annexation of Crimea and that downed passenger plane in 2014 with some relatively weak sanctions and by kicking Russia out of the G8. Jake Tapper's analysis is just so superficial here. You know, he's, he invaded Crimea for no reason, apparently. He just woke up one day, his coffee didn't taste good, and said, hey, I think I'll invade Crimea today. No talk at all about how we were position, interfering with their election and positioning ourselves to try to get control of their only warm water port in Sevastopol, which is on the Crimean Peninsula. Well, I mean, this was a threat. Putin said, I, 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 can't, ha I can't have that. Got to put a stop to that. Um, the, the, the arming of eastern Ukraine... You know, I mean, these 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 were ethnic Russians that had uh, basically, you know, when Ukraine went independent, I mean, they were basically uh, treated like stepchildren. And so he was helping them try to get their independence. I mean, this is all very normal stuff when you when you draw artificial lines around places and, and declare it Ukraine or you declare it America or whatever. There are people that get encircled by these artificial lines. This was, this was. I mean, you can find lots of evidence for this around World War One. Uh, the entire Middle East was re redrawn after World War One, and look at the problems that were created there. So, you know, just drawing a line around a bunch of territory and calling it X country doesn't solve any problems, and and of course, it didn't solve any for either Russia or for Ukraine. Bolder still, never deterred, Putin ordered the 2016 interference campaign in the U.S. election. This was followed by some more sanctions and expelled Russian diplomats, but still nothing really with teeth, nothing truly punishing. I love how in this one he just asserts that there was an interference campaign by Russia. And we, we know what this is now. This was the crowd strike thing. Um, it was a hand. I mean, they spent like a hundred thousand dollars on Facebook ads. I mean, really, that interfered with our election? I don't think so. I mean, this has been more or less debunked by people that are smarter than a lot smarter than Jake Tapper. 
It was an interference campaign that came amidst a candidate who not only admired Putin, but openly called for his election help. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. A president who his own aides feared would withdraw the U.S. from NATO, who saw moral equivalence between the United States and Russia. Putin's a killer. You think our country's so innocent? You know, I remember when Trump said that in that debate, and I remember thinking, man, I hope he finds her emails too. Because Hillary Clinton just, I mean, she just broke so many laws in that. And it's, I'm just so tired of seeing people like Hillary Clinton break the law and just say whatever she wants in Congress and no, there's no consequences or anything like that. I remember thinking the same thing. Throughout our history, we've learned this lesson. When dictators do not pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos. President Biden is right. Dictators who do not pay a price for aggression continue causing more chaos. But may I ask, have we actually learned that lesson? Well, I don't know if we've learned that lesson or not. And I'm not even sure that's the, the real question here. In my mind, the real question is, what, um, what really has led, what events have led up to this aggression by the Russian government? Is it really that this, just, this guy just runs around and, and invades countries unprovoked and, and the fact that we sit around and, and don't do anything, past presidents haven't really done anything, that that emboldens him to go do it somewhere else and, and the cycle just continues? Is that, is that the analysis here? Is that, is that where we're supposed to believe in, uh, when, when Jake Tapper tells us that there just hasn't been any consequences for Putin? Again, I think this is just a very juvenile way of looking at the world. And, you know, maybe you can't, in a 15-minute segment, you really don't have the time to go into the real story. But there should be some effort to uh, understand what's causing this. And and I don't think uh, past presidents not being tough enough on Putin is a good analysis for understanding uh why you why this invasion of Ukraine is happening now and what's behind it. So we're going to switch to Scott Horton. I'm going to play a couple of clips from him and his are going to be a little longer, right? Because you got to kind of it it doesn't just fit on a bumper sticker. You got to listen to uh he quotes a lot of things. He he talks about different players and it takes a while to develop his points, but um but I think it's worth listening to. And uh, I've got a few of them here we're going to listen to and comment on. The George Bush senior years. President Ronald Reagan had negotiated an end to the Cold War with the old Soviet Union. But then, under President H.W. Bush, the American foreign policy community, led by the neoconservatives, adopted a doctrine of global dominance. This was, as Charles Krauthammer put it in Foreign Affairs in 1990, the U.S.'s so-called unipolar moment an opportunity to remake the world our way and keep it that way. They call it leadership, hegemony, preeminence, predominance, or even full-spectrum dominance. It's world empire. No, really, it's all for their own good, though, keeping the peace, protecting the sea lanes, enforcing the global, rules-based, liberal international order. So we pick up Scott Horton's talk here 
uh, in the George Bush senior years, and he uses this moment to frame the discussion. And he basically frames it as after the fall of, of uh, the Soviet Union, um, H.W. Bush and our advisors and, and the neocons in general decided that it would be an empire at that point in the United States and its um, promotion of democracy for the world. It's almost like a Woodrow Will, a continuation of Woodrow Wilson's policy. But he's basically framing it up here so that when he plays these quotes and or he quotes these people, you can kind of see uh, the path that uh, that we're following. Dick Cheney's Defense Department's post-Iraq War I defense planning guidance from 1992 defined the doctrine for the new decade and into the new millennium. The U.S. must remain the single dominant power on the planet and must maintain enough military power to prevent any possible strategic rivals, such as Germany, Japan, Russia, or China, from even considering an attempt to challenge U.S. power. As those same neoconservatives wrote in their 1998 Project for a New American Century Study, Rebuilding America's Defenses, expanding the U.S. presence in the Middle East, and the NATO alliance in Europe was at the core of their doctrine. Sounds a lot like a strategy. A well-thought-out strategy if you want to build an empire. So I think Scott Horton is off to a good start here in making his point. But there was a problem. On February 9, 1990, President George H.W. Bush and his Secretary of State James Baker promised Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev that if the U.S. would withdraw their troops and allow German reunification under America's NATO military alliance, they would not expand it. As Baker put it, quote, one inch eastward, end quote, beyond that. West German Chancellor Helmut Kohl, French President Francois Mitterrand, British Prime Ministers Margaret Thatcher and later John Major all made the same promise. Of course, they've lied about it ever since, at various times claiming this pledge either never happened at all or doesn't count because it wasn't in writing. But in 2019, the records were posted at George Washington University's National Security Archive. You can read the writing yourself. An American researcher just last week found in the British National Archives a formerly secret document, minutes of a meeting with the political directors of the foreign ministries of America, the UK, France, and Germany on March 6, 1991, in which the German representative, Jürgen Chobog, says, quote, we made it clear in the two plus four negotiations that we would not expand NATO beyond the Elbe. We can therefore not offer NATO membership to Poland and the others, end quote. As reported by the German paper Der Spiegel, U.S. Representative Raymond Seitz said, quote, We have made it clear to the Soviet Union in the two plus four talks and elsewhere that we will not take advantage of the withdrawal of Soviet troops from Eastern Europe. You might be asking yourself, where is this history in all the rhetoric that's in the news media today? And I ask myself the same question. And the reality is it just doesn't line up with the with the narrative the narrative is as jake tapper put it putin is a maniac he's a dictator he doesn't respect borders he's done this in georgia crimea and now ukraine he did it in chechnya early on in his career he's a maniac all he wants to do is reconstitute the the old soviet empire and that explains everything well 
Not exactly. As you just heard from Scott Horton, this all started with German reunification and our promise to the, to the Russians that we wouldn't expand NATO eastward. And, and little by little, we've just, we've just chipped away at that promise. And, you know, this is a problem. This is a problem in our foreign policy. Chicken Kiev speech of August 1991, as New York Times writer William Sapphire called it. It turns out the speech was written for Bush Sr. by Condoleezza Rice, later famously his son's national security advisor and secretary of state. In this speech, Bush warned against Ukrainian agitation for independence from Russia on anything but the Kremlin's deliberate timetable, telling their central committee, quote, freedom is not the same as independence. Americans will not support those who seek independence in order to replace a far-off tyranny with a local despotism. They will not aid those who promote a suicidal nationalism based on ethnic hatred, end quote. Though he was probably rightly mocked for trying to hold the USSR together in a new loose confederation rather than favoring its outright destruction, first, his caution helped the Russian reformers see it through to the end without the U.S. provoking unnecessary backlash against it. And secondly, this did show his recognition of potentially dangerous nationalist forces in Ukraine who could do themselves much more harm than good. Though Bush launched America's so-called New World Order of attempted global hegemony and our 30-year-long catastrophic war in the Middle East, it should be mentioned that President H.W. Bush in one important way, handled the end of the Cold War in what you could even say was heroic fashion by signing multiple treaties with the Soviets and then the successor Russian state to reduce both sides' stockpiles of nuclear weapons from the tens of thousands down to the much lower totals of today, including up until the very last days of his presidency. So at least he's got that going for him. So H.W. Bush was more or less handing, handling the end of the Cold War properly, although <laughs> he was trying to keep, uh, I guess he and his administration thought it would be better to keep uh, Russia, Russia kind of loosely held together as a confederation of states. Um, but, you know, it did start off right. I mean, he started off by recognizing that there were ethnic Russians all over Eastern Europe and um, Western uh, Russia. And, you know, it was going to be very challenging for these, these countries just to claim independence without Russia um, interfering some way. And, of course, that's what we've seen, right? That's exactly what we've seen. So the H.W. Bush administration, like I said, started off really well. But if you if you... If you remember, there were a few clips back. Dick Cheney was was involved in the H.W. Bush administration really early on, way back in 1992, and had a big part in kind of creating this new world order, this new hegemony. And uh, I suspect, to a large degree, undermined a lot of what H.W. Bush did. So, you know, it's just it's it's interesting now how Dick Cheney 
you know, we, we know Dick Cheney from the Iraq and the Afghanistan days and the war on terror and all that. But even going back, even uh, a full decade before he was involved in the government and putting together these, uh, you know, influencing uh, the government with his ideas and stuff, much to, uh, much to our dismay and uh, disappointment, I might add. And his, and his daughter, uh, Liz Cheney, is, is just, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree there either. But the trouble really started with Bill Clinton. He started expanding NATO in his second term. Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic were brought in in 1999. Clinton and his advisors said that Russia wouldn't mind. Maybe they'll join. They created the NATO-Russia Council with a promise toward further integration. But then the Kosovo War of 1999 ended all that talk for good. Of course, inviting Russia into NATO, creating essentially a one-world white army of the North, would have also been a disaster. But the alternative our government has chosen has been at least as bad. Many Cold War hawks, such as H.W. Bush's best friend and national security advisor, General Brent Scowcroft, Clinton's Secretary of Defense, William Perry, George Kennan, who had coined the containment policy back in the 1940s, and his rival, Paul Nitsa, who had favored the much more aggressive Soviet policy of Soviet rollback. Robert S. McNamara, the Secretary of Defense during most of the war in Vietnam. Former CIA directors, Admiral Stansfield Turner and Robert Gates. Ambassador Jack Matlock. Senators Daniel Patrick Moynihan, John Warner, Sam Nunn and Bill Bradley. Anti-communist academics like Richard Pipes and Edward Lutwack. And dozens more of the highest ranking active and retired generals, admirals and foreign service officers all warned Clinton not to go through with it. In an open letter signed by President Eisenhower's granddaughter, Susan, and 50 of these important policy establishment, foreign policy establishment leaders, they warned in part, quote, the current U.S.-led effort to expand NATO is a policy error of historic proportions. We believe that NATO expansion will decrease allied security and unsettle European stability for the following reasons. In Russia, NATO expansion, which continues to be opposed across the entire political spectrum, will strengthen the non-democratic opposition, undercut those who favor reform and cooperation with the West, bring the Russians to question the entire post-Cold War settlement, and galvanize resistance in the Duma to the START II treaty, two and three treaties. In Europe, NATO expansion will draw a new line of division between the ins and the outs, foster instability, and ultimately diminish the sense of security of those countries which are not included. In NATO expansion, which the alliance has indicated is open-ended, will inevitably degrade NATO's ability to carry out its primary mission and will involve U.S. security guarantees to countries with serious border and national minority problems and unevenly developed systems of democratic government, end quote. Look, I know that was long, but I think it's necessary to really understand what is going on here. And, you know, the list of names that he listed off, um, uh, these, are, these are legendary policy uh, people in the American government and, and well-respected people. This is not... 
this is not people from the Obama administration, you know, a bunch of political hacks and agitators. These are thoughtful, careful, um, career, uh, you know, civil servants. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing that all Jake Tapper could do was, you know, show Putin shaking hands with Clinton and Obama and various presidents and saying, and coming to the conclusion that uh, we've just been too soft on, been too soft on Putin and dictators, and uh, and that's what's led to this Ukrainian invasion. But Jeffrey Epstein's close friend Bill Clinton had said they would quote build and secure a new Europe, peaceful, democratic, and undivided at last. But he wasn't uniting Europe; he was redividing it. Ambassador Matlock warned that if you exclude Russia from the expanded alliance, it would necessarily be against them. Here, the Cold War had already been over for two years before the final end of the USSR, and the USA was already on the path to restarting it again. Kennan wrote in the New York Times in 1997, quote, expanding NATO would be the most fateful error of American policy in the entire post-Cold War era. Such a decision may be expected to inflame the nationalistic, anti-Western, and militaristic tendencies in Russian opinion, to have an adverse effect on the development of Russian democracy, to restore the atmosphere of Cold War to East-West relations, and to impel Russian foreign policy in directions decidedly not to our liking. End quote. These quotes are from New York Times articles. I mean, does Jake Tapper not have the New York Times? I mean, can he not go into the archives? Does he not have a staff that works for him that could go dig this stuff up and and report it to his uh, news-consuming public? I mean, it's just really juvenile, you know, what we've what passes for American media today. And, you know, okay, so so Putin is kind of a, 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 a dictator, but he's not really a dictator. See, that's the thing. What people don't understand is there, there, there's factions in Russia. Some of them are pro-Soviet Union. You know, they're the old hardline Soviets. And Russia has to balance that with people that want democracy and things like that. And way back in 1997... You know, they were having to balance all that, you know, keep keep the old Soviet guard at bay. And, you know, it, it, it became increasingly difficult while Clinton is over there expanding NATO to the farthest corners of Europe. You know, I mean, it's just I don't know how people don't see this. It's just so obvious. It's as plain as the nose on your face. And I guess the real reason they don't see it is because nobody's reporting it. Nobody in the mainstream media anyway, in the corporate media, you have to go listen to shows like this where I dig up clips for you and, and, and bring this information to you. Um, I think independent media, just like Glenn Greenwald said, and I'm not claiming to be independent media, but I am, you know, an outlet for what I believe this is the truth on the side of Liberty. But you know, this is going to be how we're going to have to get our news going forward because it's just such propaganda on the cable news networks and the mainstream corporate media. And complained to the Times Thomas L. Friedman in 1998, quote, I think NATO expansion is the beginning of a new Cold War. 
I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely and it will affect their policies. I think it is a tragic mistake. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anybody else. This expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. We have signed up to protect a whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. Don't people understand? Our differences in the Cold War were with the Soviet communist regime. And now we are turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. Of course, there is going to be a bad reaction from Russia. And then the NATO expanders will say that we always told you that is how the Russians are. But this is just wrong. End quote. And isn't that what we have now? I mean, don't we have people telling us this is just the way they are? This is the way Putin is. He's just crazy. He wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union. No, Putin is not for the Soviet Union. Yeah, he used to be a KGB officer and all that, but he's he was of the moderate group. He was part of the overthrow. He was part of that group, not, not the old hardliner Politburo people. And so, anyway, it's just, you know, there's quote after quote after quote like this, and we could probably play it for a long time. Uh, I'll play a couple of more, and then we're going to bring it to a close because I think I've made my point. But you're not going to hear the real story on whatever news outlet you listen to. You're just not going to hear it. Uh, you're going to hear more calls for no-fly zones and more calls for weapons into the point potentially where we escalate this into uh, a place where we're actually at war with Russia. And that's going to be a bad thing. His prediction, our present. Joe Biden claimed Thursday that Russia's recent actions have nothing to do with NATO expansion, that this is merely a thin excuse invoked by Vladimir Putin's government. Well, in 2016, Bill Clinton's former Secretary of Defense, William Perry, admitted that, quote, in the last few years, most of the blame can be pointed at the actions Putin has taken. But in the early years, I have to say that the United States deserves much of the blame. Our first action that really set us off in a bad direction was when NATO started to expand, bringing in Eastern European nations, some of them bordering Russia. At that time, we were working closely with Russia, and they were beginning to get used to the idea that NATO could be a friend rather than an enemy. But they were very uncomfortable about having NATO right up on their border, and they made a strong appeal for us not to go ahead with that. It wasn't that we listened to their argument and said we don't agree with that argument. Basically, the people I was arguing with when I tried to put the Russian point of view out there, the response that I got was really, who cares what they think? They're a third-rate power. And of course, that point of view got across to the Russians as well. That was when we started sliding down that path. End quote. That is a quote from President Clinton's Secretary of State, William Perry. I mean, you know, that guy was on the inside. 
and he is admitting that they were wrong, that, that the administration was wrong. He was arguing with people, trying to hold them off at bay, hold them at bay, and they just told him, who cares what Russia thinks? Who cares? They're a third-rate power. We're the global power now. We're empire. We're the United States of America. I mean, this is the hubris that is running our government. And it's insane. It really is insane. The The insane people are not in Russia, although I think the invasion of Ukraine is kind of insane. But there's been plenty of insanity in the United States of America that has led to this point. And I think we need to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge it. We need to understand our past errors or we're going to continue to repeat them. Are you familiar with the current CIA director, William Burns? In 2008, he was ambassador to Russia. In January of that year, he met with the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, and then wrote a memo for the boss back home entitled, Niet means niet. Julian Assange sacrifices liberty to the darkest dungeons of the empire to bring us this information. In the memo, Burns wrote, quote, During his annual review of Russia's foreign policy, January 22nd through 23rd, Foreign Minister Lavrov stressed that Russia had to view continued eastward expansion of NATO, particularly to Ukraine and Georgia, as a potential military threat. While Russia might believe statements from the West that NATO was not directed against Russia, when one looked at recent military activities in NATO countries, establishment of U.S. forward operating locations, etc., they had to be evaluated not by stated intentions, but by potential. Lavrov stressed that maintaining Russia's sphere of influence in the neighborhood was anachronistic and acknowledged that the U.S. and Europe had, quote, legitimate interests in the region. But, he argued, while countries were free to make their own decisions about their security and which political military structures to join, they needed to keep in mind the impact on their neighbors. Ukraine and Georgia's NATO aspirations not only touch a raw nerve in Russia, they engender serious concerns about the consequences for stability in the region. Not only does Russia perceive encirclement and efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences, which would severely affect Russian security interests. Experts tell us that Russia is particularly worried that the strong divisions in Ukraine over NATO membership, with much of the ethnic Russian community against membership, could lead to a major split involving violence or, at worst, civil war. In that eventuality, Russia would have to decide whether to intervene, a decision Russia does not want to have to face, end quote. So this memo by William Burns, the famous Nyet means Nyet memo, is basically lays out exactly what has happened. He talks about Georgia in there. He talks about Ukraine. He talks about the divisions within Ukraine, where the eastern part is largely Russian and will probably uh, oppose joining NATO, whereas the western part is largely European or Austria, from the Austria-Hungarian empire and will likely try to join NATO. And that this division, uh, if fomented by the United States, could lead to a situation where Russia has to intervene. It was said in 2008. 
I mean, I don't know how you can, I don't know. I don't know how you can not know that what has happened to Ukraine, I don't know how you don't know that that was going to happen even back in 2008. And like he said, we wouldn't even know that today if it wasn't for Julian Assange. This memo was leaked in a WikiLeaks dump uh, some years later. And like he said, Julian Assange is in prison basically because of uh, because of him basically revealing this information for the rest of us so that we know what our government's up to. But there's no curiosity from Jake Tapper, from MSNBC, from CNN, from any of these networks about this. This is real news. This is what they should be doing. But instead, what they do is they, they get emails from their friends at the Defense Department telling them propaganda, and then they turn around and report that on TV as if it's real news, and then criticize everybody else for reporting fake news because it didn't come from the government. I mean, this is literally upside-down world that we're living in, and I, I don't know how we're going to turn it around. I mean, we've it's just got to stop. We've got we to start putting our foot down and pushing back hard, or it's just going to get worse and worse. All right, we got to wrap up today. It's been a long show, and it's time to wind it down. But I do want to let you know you should go. You should probably go listen to Scott Horton's entire speech. You can find it on the internet. It's um, it's a speech that he gave for the um, Lib- uh, state libertarian convention in Utah, and it's about an hour and a half long. So strap in and 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 but really dig into it and save it. I would save it uh, before they remove it from the internet. Because uh, I, I suspect at some point somebody's going to try to remove that from the internet. Yet means yet.